is really good timing for, for those of us that are part of Riverside Vineyard here because, um, and this was very intentional, we, we're about to start a series in this church entitled um, Everyday Supernatural. So for those at Riverside, listen up. Rob, come and join me, would you? Welcome, Rob. Rob, could, could you remind those that are here from Riverside what's coming up? Yeah, amazing. So we're starting a new series just in two weeks' time. I, I, I guess you can't guess what the title of the series is. Um, but this is just so that I remember um, every time I look at myself in the morning. Um, but we're going to be running it across our Sunday services for 9.30, 11.15 and 6 p.m., but also in small groups. And so over the next six weeks, starting from the end of Feb, um, we're going to be producing a whole bunch of materials just for small groups. Um, and so in addition to our regular small groups, um, that are going to be running this series, we're going to be putting on a whole bunch of extra small groups. And they're, count they're, they're going up by the day, so it's about 13 new small groups that are running uh, for those six weeks now. Um, and that's going to be awesome, so we're going to be producing a bunch of videos, materials, all of that kind of thing. So get yourself signed up. You can do that. If I turn around, you can see how to... Uh, yeah, just go and visit the website. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do it as well because I wrote in the back, but, um, you know... And for other reasons. Um, and um, Or you can go and chat to the people at the back at Everyday Supernatural Banner right there. So people can sign up. Yes. Tonight. Wonderful. And is there, by chance, a really good book that goes along with this series? Um, I don't know. I've heard there's, there's a, at least a, an, a, a definitely above average, above book, average book available okay. that we can purchase. Well, let's go with that. It's really good. I've read it a couple of times. It's so good. Do you want to? Yeah, yeah. You can, you can purchase this at the back today. It's, it's seriously so practical, so helpful, and that, that's going to work for all of us, regardless of whether you're part of Riverside or not. But it's such a helpful, practical book to kind of um, stand alongside the series that we're going to be doing. So Barry um, and team are at the back there. You can go and purchase the book from there. Or if you miss out today and you're part of Riverside, we'll be selling them on Sundays as well over the next few weeks. Wonderful. Rob, thank you. Um, and, yeah, so, so Barry and the guys from Canaan are at the back there, Canaan Bookshop. They have assured me there's some really good deals back there, like multi-buy deals. So do get in and amongst. Okay. I'm hoping that Mike is still here. Mike, do you want to come and join me? for a quick burger or something. Well, I'm going to do that straight after the talk. <laughs> Mike, welcome. It's great to be here. It Thank really you is. so much for coming really and joining is. us out this evening. Uh, <laughs> Before I hand over to you, I just wanted to ask you a couple of questions. Is that all right? Mm -hmm. Great. So you saw, like, a lot of people's hands went up when I asked who'd been impacted by Soul Survivor. What are your reflections? Because you've been, you've been running that summer festival for 27 years, which is extraordinary. What are your reflections? Uh, just God's grace from beginning to end, his kindness. Uh, we really didn't know what we were doing um, a lot of the time. And... Uh, and you know, what, what made all the difference every time was he was there, and when he's there, everything changes. Um, and if he, if he wasn't there, I mean, we'd have nothing, you know, to tie jokes through, and that's not going to do good, anything. They're good, but... Yeah, they're all right, but they're not really good.
going to change anyone's life, really. Um, and, and just seeing God at work and so many stories, so many incidents that I'll take with me, you know, to heaven, really, uh, uh, just astound me. Uh, I'll just tell you one quick, just um, because it happened, I think, this last summer. And um, there was one evening when a whole bunch of young people came forward and gave their lives to Jesus. And, and, uh, and afterwards, I was sitting chatting with, with different ones. And there was this older guy hovering. And then he came up to me and he said, I just wanted to say thank you. And he got quite emotional. And he said, uh, because I've been waiting years to bring my son here. And he's 13. So this was his, his first time he'd come. It was his only year. And I've waited for this for years. And tonight I watched my 13-year-old son come forward to give his life to Jesus. And then, and then, and then he said, and the reason that means so much to me is that in 1995, I came here for the first time, and I was 13, and I came forward and gave my life to Jesus. And now I've watched my boy do exactly the same thing. And when I heard that, I thought, you know what, I could die tonight really happy. That would be a good story to go out on, wouldn't yeah. it? <laughs> that is amazing. That is amazing. Um, as I've said, for, for us in the vineyard, this is an exciting time because of DPI moving to the August. So it's, it's almost like a baton handing on. Yeah. You, you know the guys there. Why should young people go to DPI? Can you shamelessly plug it? And yeah, I think, I, I think the main reason and uh, the reason we, we were so thrilled, really, at doing it is I know the leaders. And uh, it's not that they're particularly gifted. They are. But it's not, it's not about that. And, and, and it's just that's not it. And it's not that they're plugged in to any, you know they are, but that's not it. Um, what, what I know of them is they're doing it because they love young people. And that was the one thing that I longed for above anything else. They're going to love young people. They're going to serve young people. They've got a passion for young people. They're going to put the young people that come to DTI first. And that is what will make the difference. You know, they, they, it was never about them seeing a gap in the spiritual market or anything like that. It was about we want to see young people meet Jesus. And I know their hearts, and that's, that's the main thing, and that's the thing that's going to make the difference. You can trust them. You can really trust them uh, to, to, to care. And I, I told, I'm going to go, um, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to, I've decided already I'm going to go and walk around and moan and groan and say it wasn't like this in my day and can't you put can't you put the sound down and all and I'm going to thoroughly enjoy myself doing that um, and uh, you know I might even take a Zimmer frame just for added effect yeah yeah, yeah. Mike thank you and, and last thing I want to ask so, so we're running this everyday supernatural series here because one of the things that I've loved hearing you over years is just the way that that just kind of oozes out of you that you just go around and you live everyday supernatural life with Jesus. So for those people here as part of our church here at Riverside Vineyard that are wondering, you know, should I be part of a small group or not? Is, is this really, what would you say? I, I, I would say just, just go for it. You know, we're, we're, we're called to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus is to do the stuff that he did, to do the things that he did. And he went around changing people's lives. And he healed the sick, and he, and 
spoke words into people's hearts. You know, the Samaritan woman at the well so many times. Um, you know, Nathaniel, you know, um, I saw you under the fig tree. You know, so many times he, 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 take, he delivered people. He set people free. He didn't just say good news. He was good news. And we are called to be a kingdom people, a people of his kingdom, and to do the things that he did. And, and so often to come together in a weakness with others. You know, if you feel, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not spiritual enough, I'm not holy enough, I don't know enough, I'm not brave enough, well, join the freaking club. You know, none of us are. And it's not about that. It's God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And when we go together and coming together, we can learn together. We can learn in a safe place. Uh, my old boss, David Pitchers, used to say the meeting place is the learning place for the marketplace. You know what? Sometimes to do it straight out there, it's, 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 but, but actually, yeah, let's practice with one another. And you know, you'd be amazed. You'd be amazed in the context of God's people going together, stepping out and then seeing, oh my goodness, God, you did it. Oh my goodness, you used me and I didn't have a clue. You didn't, and, and it's so exciting. And there's nothing more wonderful than seeing the fruit. And the results are we long to see people set free. We long to see people come to Jesus. We long to see people having, having the secrets of their hearts revealed, not to expose them, not to humiliate them, but to set them free. You know, when that happens, people are set free. And, and, and you know what? You start. You've got to start somewhere. And I've been, do, I've been doing this for, for years. And, you know, and honestly, the more you do it, the more you practice, the higher the batting average. You know, it, it really is. You, you know what? It's, it's just obedience every day. And, yeah, and so I would encourage you, we want to see our world impacted. And they need to hear the gospel, but they also need to see the gospel and experience the gospel. And we're called to feed the hungry, and we're called to heal the sick. And we're called to be a prophetic voice to this culture. And so we start together. Sorry, that was a very long answer. I've got into that, that, preaching mode. But that was a good answer. What was it? Thank you. <laughs> Does that mean my honorarium will go up? We'll see. Moving on. <laughs> um, we're just going to take another offering now. <laughs> and um, this is, and, uh, and whatever you gave last time, double it. And this is going to go to the Mike Kilovarchi's restaurant fund. If the stewards would. No. And buy lots more books. Mike. Well, no, that doesn't do. Does that not no, do? No. You get about three pence. Yeah, it does. Uh, no, that's not going to buy a meal. <laughs> It's not going to even, but McDonald's isn't going to even. Uh. Mike, thank you. It's over to you, my friend. All right, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, um, I just will mention, um, you, you, I, this is a, a little plug. I feel embarrassed, but Barry asked me to. Um, um, I blame him. Uh, but as, there's some other books there as well as Everyday Supernatural, which we tried to make really practical really honest and really helpful. 
And one of the other books is one that people might not know so much. I, I wrote it. It's the only book I've written on my own, so it's not very good English. Uh, and I wrote it about 20 years ago, and it's called Wasteland. And it's from my experience of finding God in the desert places. And, you know, in the dry places, in the barren places. And it's, it's based on the life of Moses as well as others. And I hope it's helpful to anyone who's going through a really tough patch, a really dry patch. Because I discovered that God is in the desert. God is in the wilderness. And that's the place where he changes you. And that's the place where he makes you a voice and not just an echo of other people. You know, John the Baptist was a voice crying out in the wilderness. And he got his voice in the desert place, in the dry, barren, and hostile place, because that's where everything else is still, and you can hear God, and God can speak to you tenderly. So I just mentioned that, because that's one that we seem to be doing a little uh, re-singing. And so I just mentioned it. Okay, well, uh, I'll give those a cross because I brought my phone um, just in case I get any texts while I'm preaching. Um, but I, yes, I can see the cross. So um, I, I just thought I'd this talk tonight, it, and it's uh, it, you'll, you'll find this talk is a chapter in Everyday Supernatural. So, no, oh dear, that means you won't buy the book. Uh, but. Um, uh, this is a kind of, uh, just a crucial thing that we need to know if we want to see two things. Lots of us, lots of us, we long, we long to have greater intimacy with Jesus. We long to have greater intimacy with God. We want to come close to him. We want to come close to us. Loads of us, that's a great longing in our lives. And for many of us, the second longing is we long to see him move uh, in miraculous ways in, in our world, not to entertain us, but in order, as I said earlier, to set people free. And we have those two longings. And I just want to talk tonight about the secret ingredient that I want to suggest is important if we're going to see both of those things. And uh, you can find uh, the, the first passage I want to look at is uh, John chapter 2. And it's Jesus' first miracle. And I love it that Jesus' first ever miracle was turning water into wine by the gallon for a party, a wedding party. And I just want to read the first little bit. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Now, isn't that typical of a mum? Isn't that exactly what they do? Have you noticed? They don't tell you what they want. They don't say, can you, uh, can you bring the shopping in from the car? They say, oh, there's a lot of shopping in the car. They don't say, can you do the washing up? They say, oh, there's a lot of washing up to do. Jesus' mum was no different. Son, they've run out of wine. And Jesus responds like any normal teenager, what's that got to do with me? In fact, what he says is, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my hour has not yet come. And you know what? Um, some of the translators and some of the versions, of, uh, the older versions, they put in dear woman. But Jesus said dear woman. 
And they did that because they didn't want it to seem that Jesus was being rude to his mum. But in the original Greek, there is no dear. It really is woman. And, and I first read this story just after I became a Christian, when I was 15, 16 years old. And I first read this, and when I first read this, Jesus was like, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. I thought, my hour has not yet come. That's a good line, I thought. So I thought, I'm going to try that one. So the next time my mum came to me, and she said, Michael, I want you to tidy your room. I looked her in the eye, and I said, Mum, my hour has not yet come. (laughs) It didn't work out well for me. But Jesus said that. Listen to what Mary said. His mother didn't say to Jesus, don't be so rude to your mother. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And that's the title of tonight's talk. Do whatever he tells you. Let's listen to Mary when she says to the servants and to us, do whatever he tells you. The secret to into greater intimacy with Jesus, the secret to seeing miracles is obedience. It's doing whatever he tells you. Now, do you know, for years, I interpreted do whatever he tells you like this. I interpreted it as do whatever he tells you when what he tells you seems to make sense. Do whatever he tells you when you agree with what he tells you. Do whatever he tells you when what he tells you isn't too risky. That is not obedience. That is happening to agree with Jesus. Obedience is doing what he tells you when you don't quite understand, when it is very risky, when you would rather not. That's obedience. And it's at that place that miracles happen. And that's exactly what happened to the servants. Um, uh, Straight after uh, Mary said, do whatever he tells you, Jesus says to the servants, you see these big stone jars, fill them with water, and and would they be dirty? Because they had water that was used for ceremonial cleansing. It was a bit like having a bath. Fill these jars with water. Now, if I was one of the servants at that point, I would have gone up to Jesus and I would have said something like, excuse me, Mr. Christ, but I overheard your conversation with your mum and she said to you, they've run out of wine. What we have is a wine deficit, not a water shortage. We don't need any more water. We don't need any more San Pellegrino. What we need is Chateau Neuf de Pape. And if I said that to Jesus, he would have said to me, excuse me, Pilavachi, but you weren't listening to what my mum said to you. She said, do whatever I tell you. And the servants did. But they couldn't have understood. Why, why, why fill the jars with water? That's not the problem. And then it gets worse. Jesus says, I want one of you to take a, a, a cup, put the water in from one of the jars, and take it to the master of ceremonies. And you know what? They would have gathered together, and they would have said, we're going to be accepted, aren't we, Lord Jesus? We're going to take this dirty water in a cup. We're going to give it to the master of ceremonies. He's going to think it's wine. He's going to drink it. He's going to spit it out, and then we're going to all get beaten up. 
because we're just servants. We're just slaves. And then I, I put money on this. I think they'll say, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? And I bet they always picked on the youngest. You're the youngest. You do it. And this poor little servant, he would have taken the cup. He was taking it to the master ceremony. And I think all the others, can you imagine, they'd have been biding behind the cage. They'd have been, oh, it's going to be bad. This is not going to end well, boys. Keep your heads down. And then the little lad, he gave it to the master of ceremonies. And he'd have been trembling. And the master of ceremonies takes a stick. And he says, stop. And the servants are like, oh, no, duck. And then he says to the bridegroom, you have left the best wine to the end. This is amazing. This is Chateau Neuf de Pape. And, and then before they knew it, all the guests were drinking this dirty water. And they were going like this. Yes, yes, overtones of black currant and licorice. I mean, yes, oh, it's so exquisite. And the, the servants would be like, but it's dirty water. We know where it came from. What are they doing? It's dirty water. And do you know what it says? It says in the book, that when they, the, but the servants knew. The servants were in on the secret. They were the only ones that knew where it came from. So I, I can't prove it, but I know it's true. And when we get to heaven, just I'm, you'll know. And then you'll be able to say, full of art, he was right. I just, don't you just know in your spirit that as they were going, all the guests were, oh, this is so wonderful. Oh, this is so great. And the servants were like, oh, oh, it's dirty water. Don't you just know in your spirit that Jesus would have looked over at them and gone like this? Don't you know? And they'd have been, hey, 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 hey. You see, they were in on the secret with Jesus. So they had real intimacy with him. All the guests didn't get it, but they got it. And they saw a miracle. And they were the ones that knew it was a miracle. You know, we have intimacy with Jesus and we see miracles at the place of our obedience. One more story from Scripture, and I love this one. I could have picked so many. It's in Matthew chapter 14. Uh, Jesus has fed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. My favorite miracle of all time. Just can you imagine? I'd love to do that one day. You know, food for 5,000 in my kitchen. And I wouldn't invite anyone. But listen, straight after this, listen to what we read. Verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, I have read this story hundreds of times. It must be. I've been a Christian since the days of Noah. I have been. I'm. Oh, by the way, I just need to say this very quickly. I should have said it at the beginning. Just so that some. What are you doing? What's that? Is that Chris? I'm sorry, they're not allowed in the auditorium. Oh, all right. So that, F mm. that was a big mistake. 
just to let everyone clear up, those of you that we've met before, this, it's a big mistake, okay? It was an accident. I was in South Africa just before Christmas, and I had an afternoon off, and I went for a walk. I saw a hairdresser. I thought, I'll just go in for a little trim. She saw me coming. She said to me, why don't you have your hair chemically straightened? I'm an expert. I do it so well. I said, no way am I having my hair chemically straightened. Two hours later, I came out, 95 pounds poorer, and looking like something out of Lord of the Rings. I know, I know how it looks. There's nothing I can do until it grows out. I could have put more chemicals in to make it curly again, but apparently it would all fall out. So everyone just take a chill pill. Don't worry about this. And let's focus on Jesus. I have been reading this passage for years, for years. And do you know what? It's amazing with the Bible. You can read the same story a hundred times and you read it one more time. It's like, how did I miss that? And that's with this. It, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. He made them get into the boat. Do you know the original Greek is really, really strong. It's, it's he made them. It, 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 it happened something like this. Jesus said, hey boys, um, why don't you get into the boat and uh, go to the other side of the Sea of Galilee overnight. And I'll just finish off here and then I'll join you in the morning. Oh, how are you going to get over there, boss? Uh, don't worry, I've got my own transport arranged. Uh, Jesus, the boys and I, we've been on the internet and we've been looking at the weather forecast and it's pretty stormy overnight on the Sea of Galilee. And as you know, some of us are fishermen and this is where we do our job. And, and storms overnight Sea of Galilee, not a good idea. If it's all right with you, we'll stay here tonight and we'll go over with you in the morning. Get in the boat. He made them get in the boat. Sometimes Jesus deliberately sends us into storms. Why? Is it because he hates us? No. It's because he knows that it's so often in the middle of the storms of life that we, when we come to the end of ourselves, that we lean on him, that we have to trust in him. It's in the storms that we meet him. It's in the storms that we have the greatest intimacy with him. He does it because he loves us. So, he sends them. And then, uh, sure enough, in the night there's a big storm and they're afraid. Listen to this, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Do you really, have you noticed how many times the disciples who spent every day with Jesus for three years, they didn't recognize him when he came to them, especially after the resurrection. I mean, after the resurrection, it's hilarious. You know, they, um, you know, like, like, like they, just, they just never seem to recognize him. And after the resurrection, it was because they were filled with disappointment. Disappointment often stops us recognizing Jesus when he comes to us. On this occasion, they were filled with fear. And when we're filled with fear, we don't recognize Jesus. So what does he do? He speaks to them. This is why it's important to be a people of the word as well as the spirit. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. 
take, and there's three phrases there. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now, now, the take courage and don't be afraid are quite similar. They're quite similar. And I, I take them like the, the piece, two pieces of bread in a sandwich on either side. The peanut butter that's in the middle that makes it great is it is I. The reason they can take courage and not be afraid is because it is I. It's because he's there. And, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm just a very old youth worker. I'm not a theologian. I wouldn't, I, and I certainly wouldn't know New Testament Greek if it hit me in the face. You know, I don't, I've never studied New Testament Greek or anything else. But I am Greek. And as a Greek, I can tell you that phrase, it is I. In the original Greek, it's ego ime. And the ego ime, which is, um, we would say, the ego comes from our word, our word ego is the, derived from it. Ego literally means it's me. And ime literally means it's me. So if you translated it exactly, it would be, take courage, it's me, it's me, don't be afraid. But of course, the translators want it to make sense, so the nearest equivalent is, it is I. But the thing about, it's me, it's me, is that that phrase is the phrase that is um, in the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament, yeah, that, that is, is the translation of when Moses meets God at the burning bush, and God says, go back and talk to Pharaoh. And Moses says, who shall I say you are? And the Lord says, I am who I am. In the Greek, it's evo ime. It's me, it's me. I am who I am. And do you know what? And this is for free. This is a bit extra. In John's Gospel, there are seven signs Seven is the number of completeness. Seven signs, seven miracles that, that, that show that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. There are also seven I am sayings in John's Gospel. Seven evo imes. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the gate by which the sheep come in, and I am the true vine. Seven times the number of completeness. Seven signs that Jesus, who Jesus is, and seven I am saying. And you know, in the, old te- in, 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 in the burning bush, when Moses says, who are you? And, and the Lord says, I am who I am. And he says, I am. The question that you want to ask is, finish the sentence, Lord. I am who? I am what? Finish the sentence. He doesn't finish the sentence because he leaves it for 2,000 years for Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate revelation of God, to finish the sentence. So he finishes it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. So there are seven times he says, I am Evor Imeh. But here's the bit that I love. As well as the seven signs in John's Gospel, as well as the seven I am saints, there is another seven times in John's Gospel 
where Jesus says seven times, and it's translated slightly differently each time in our Bibles for it to make sense. So, um, the, the, the first time is when he meets the Samaritan woman at the well. And uh, she says to him, uh, when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us where to worship. And then uh, Jesus says to her, and in, in the new NIV, it's clumsy, I, the one who is speaking to you, I am he. In the Greek, it's the one who is speaking to you, it's me, it's me. And my favorite one is the last time in John's Gospel. I love this. I love this so much. Um, Jesus <laughs> is in the Garden of Gethsemane with the disciples. <coughs> and the soldiers come to arrest Jesus. Do you remember the story in John's Gospel? They come. And Jesus says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, they say. And Jesus says in John's Gospel, I am he. And do you remember what happens? They all fall down. Do you remember that? They all fall down. And I just imagine it's like this. Um, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Like, fall down. Oh, dear. They've all fallen down. Poor little soldiers. Hey, disciples, help them up. Are you okay, boys? Up you get. Gently, gently. Up you get. That wasn't good, you falling down like that. Now, listen. Now, listen. Should we try that again? Now, now. Now, I'm going to ask you, like I did before, so listen, who are you looking for? Then you say, Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, hold on tight to each other. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Ready? I am he. It makes sense when you understand I am he. In the original is, it's me, it's me. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth, I am who I am. What else were they going to do but fall down? And that's why we can take courage and not be afraid in the middle of the storm. Anyway, that was a little digression. Then when Jesus says this, they recognize it's Jesus. And I love Peter. I love him. And, and I honestly... I say this in all humility. I, I think there's a lot of similarities between Peter and myself. I, and I'm not saying I'm rocky. I'm not saying the church is built on me. In this instance, in this instance alone, we both open our mouths before our brains are in gear. And Pete was always doing that. He was always like, you said that without thinking, Pete, didn't you? And, and this is one of those times. So they all said, it's a ghost, it's a ghost. And Jesus says, Take courage. It's me, it's me. Don't be afraid. And then Peter's so excited, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And I imagine it was like this. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Oh, thank you. Is, is it sparkling? going to pray for you later on. Now, UK 
take it back and turn it into one. And then come back. What? You can. <laughs> no, I don't think you're better. What was I saying? What? Peter, well done. You with the crisps, you know what you're doing. You were listening, weren't you? Uh, oh. And you took one out. No more crisps. go to Hillsong, then give him chocolate. That's a joke. That's a, uh, oh, uh, um, anyway, <laughs> oh, mate, 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 you're a good man. You're such a good man, even though you're a Liverpool supporter. I'm going to save this for after. <laughs> um, so, Peter, Peter, let's get back to it. So, Peter, it's like this. It's like, before he stops to think, oh, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Oh. And then before he can say, only joking, Jesus says, come on then. And can you imagine then, Peter's like, oh no. And the disciples are going, off you go, Pete. You opened your mouth again. You did it again. Let's see it. Let's see you do it. And Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking on the water. Let me read to you what happens. This is funny. This is great. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, do you know, I have read this story hundreds of times. And do you know, for years, I've read it, and I've even preached on it as Peter's great failure. I don't think that anymore. I don't think it was Peter's great failure. I think it was Pete's great success. I think this was his best moment. And I just, just look at it. This is how I've read it for years. I've read it. So he says, if that's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on then. So Peter gets down and he starts off all right. He's walking on the water. And then he takes his eyes off Jesus. And he sees the waves and the effect of the wind. And he starts to drown. And all that's true. But then the way I've read it is, so he's drowning. And he's going, Drowning and, and then Jesus is standing there in the middle of the waves and he's thinking, oh no, Pete's drowning. What am I going to do? I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. So the way I've read it is Jesus dives into the water and he does the front crawl through the waves. He gets behind Peter and he uses a, a life-saving technique he learned as a kid at Lazarus Swimming Pool. And he says to the disciples, quick, get the rubber in, throw the ropes, help me to save Pete's life. I need him for the Acts of the Apostles. And they eventually get Peter into the boat. And Jesus climbs on board as well, dripping wet, soaking wet. He gets on top of Peter, puts his knee on his chest, 
and he gives him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. As Peter splutters back to life, Jesus says, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Have you noticed we always give God an angry voice in the Bible? Have you noticed that? Now, where did I get that from? That's not what it says. For years I read it like that. That is not what it says. Listen to what actually happens. Peter gets into the boat, and yes, he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink. But do you know what it says? Immediately, he said, Lord, save me. If it was me, I would have immediately tried to save myself. And then if that didn't work, I would have tried to get my friends to save me. And if that didn't work, I'd have dialed 999. And as a last resort, I might have prayed. The first thing Pete does is he says, Lord, save me. And do you hear what it says? It says Jesus reached out his hand and held him. He took hold of Pete's hand. And he didn't dive into the water after him. He lifted Peter up. And do you know what happened? Peter walked back to the boat on the water with Jesus. And the two of them were holding hands. The two of them. I don't think this was Pete's great failure. I think this was Pete's great success. I think he lived off this story for the rest of his life. Do you know, at at church planting parties or cocktail parties, if you're an Anglican, you know, he, you know, somebody would have asked, "Oh, Peter, Pete, could you could you tell us your walking on the water story?" And I, I expect Peter would have said, "Oh no, not again." Oh, I've told the story so many times. Can I tell it again? All right, I'll tell it one more time. Gather round, everyone. I'm going to tell you my walking on the water with Jesus story. Well, let me tell you, it was a pretty bad storm. I mean, it was, the boys were frightened, let me tell you. They were really scared. And then Jesus came to us in the, in the night, walking on the water. And, 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 and I recognized it was Jesus, of course. And, and um, I said, Jesus, if that's you, would you like me to come and join you? And we can walk through the waves together. And Jesus said, be my guest, be my guest. So I got out of the boat and I started walking towards Jesus. I mean, the next bit's a little bit hazy. Uh, I can't remember all the details. And to cut a long story short, um, Jesus and I ended up walking through the waves, holding hands. We were holding hands together, the two of us, walking on the, walking on the water, sorry, walking on the water. And, and um, what was it like? Well, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, the only two people who have ever walked on water are myself and Jesus. And um, uh, Jesus has gone back up to heaven now, so I suppose I'm the only one left on earth who can describe what it feels like to walk on water. Well, it was, it was liquid, and it was bouncy, and it was just very, 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 it was a bit like being on a bouncy castle, I suppose. And it was just bouncy and liquid, but, and over the waves, and it was very calming, actually. And did, did I mention I was holding hands with Jesus as we were doing it? Yeah, yeah, yes. And so we walked through the waves back to the boat together. And um, yes, and, I mean, and, and, and yes, we were holding hands, as I said. And, and to be honest, uh, I can't be absolutely sure if he was holding me up or I was holding him up. I mean, the two of us were just walking like this. Do you know how I know he'd have said that? Because I'd have said that if it was me. Wouldn't you? I'd have said it like that. And then I bet Pete said, um, uh, 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 
um, Andrew, James, John, is, is there anything you want to add to the story? Oh, no, sorry, I, I forgot. You never got out of the boat, did you? It was just me who walked on the water with Jesus. Now, if Jesus was holding Peter's hand as they were walking back to the boat, do you think that he would have said it like this? You have little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't think he would have said Not while he was holding Peter's hand. I think it was more like this. Oh, Pete, why didn't you trust me, you faithless one? Why didn't I wasn't going to let you drown. Next time, trust me, Pete. Honestly, you silly sausage. Trust me next time. I think it was more in that tone. And I think Pete lived off that story for the rest of his life. And the truth is, that's how it works. That's how it works. And for Peter, at the moment of his obedience, when he stepped out of the boat, he felt like he was sinking. And you always feel like you're sinking. But then Jesus takes hold of your hand in the storm. And for Peter, he had the greatest moment of intimacy he could ever have hoped for with Jesus in the middle of the storm. And he saw the greatest miracle. He was involved in it. It wasn't just Jesus walking on the water. Peter was walking with him. That's how it works. Now, amongst Christians, there's this bizarre thing that if, if amongst some Christians, there's, there's this book that it's like you can't be a proper Christian unless, unless you've read it. And I'm not talking about the Bible. There's this book that's been going around for years called The Five Love Languages. I mean, just honestly, it's like they've now done the five love languages for married people, for engaged people, for the end of single people, for blue-eyed people, for left-handed people. And it's all a money-making scam. I mean, it's not, I mean, why buy it when you can buy my book? And, and, uh, um, and uh, did I really say that? And, uh, and, 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 and you know, and, and the thesis of the book is we all operate in one or two or five love languages. For some of us, uh, we give and receive love um, with, with physical affection, touch. For others of us, it's words of affirmation. For others of us, it's gifts. Uh, for others of us, it's quality time. Uh, for others of us, our love language is, um, is acts of service. And when I first read that, I remember I was like, I thought, oh no. I thought, oh no, there's something wrong with me. None of those are mine. None of those five love languages are mine. I have a sixth love language that isn't in the flipping book. My love language is food. Tell me you love me. It means nothing to me. Go stick your love somewhere else. I'm not interested. But buy me a chicken sheesh kebab and I'm yours for life. Did you know that God has a love language. His love language is obedience. The reason I know that is because he said so. If you love me, you will obey my commands, said Jesus in John chapter 15. It doesn't get clearer than that. It's his love language. You are my friends if you do what I command. You want to be his friend? Obey him. It's his love language. And it's not a heavy thing. It's not a, it's not a works thing. Guys, it's a liberating thing. It's where you have the greatest fun. It's where joy comes. 
It's in the place of obedience you see miracles. It's in the place of obedience you have the greatest intimacy. I have a friend called J. John, and he, they, they call him an anointed evangelist. And basically, when he preaches the gospel, loads of people become Christians. And uh, more people become Christians when he preaches the gospel than when I preach the gospel. And that really flipping annoys me. And, you know, and I've been really fed up with that. And, you know, I've asked God more than once, why? Why, when he preaches the gospel, loads more people become Christians than when I preach the gospel? And, and you know, it's, I've heard his talks. They're all right. But so are mine, you know? And I couldn't understand it. And do you know what? Then one day, um, I, I, I found that I realized what it was. Um, it was a Monday morning, and my day's off on Mondays. Um, and uh, he phoned me on Monday morning, and he said, Mike, I want to take you out to lunch. And I just want you to know, I'm a man of principle. Um, I, I live my life by principles. Um, I'm not wishy-washy like some of you that you're airy-fairy, you go one way one time, how you, you work on feelings. I, I live on principle. And one of the principles by which I live my life is this. I never, ever, ever refuse lunch when it's offered to me. And so I said yes. And then he came and collected me, and we went to a restaurant in Old Amersham for lunch. And it was about one o'clock, and we went in, and I, I was starving. I was so hungry. I hadn't eaten anything since 11. And I was just desperate. And we went, and the waitress showed us to the table, and she gave us the menu, and I was quickly straight away looking. You know, I didn't have to pretend to be small talk, kind of, you know, like, let's just get into it. And, and then John, he, 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 said, he says to the way, he says, hello, what's your name? And she says her name. He says, I'm J. John. And then he says, um, well, um, uh, how long have you been working here? And I'm thinking, oh, you're not. You're not really, are you? And she says, he says, what would you like to do with your life? And she says something. He says, would you like to know what I do? And she says politely, yes. He says, I'm an evangelist. Can I tell you what an evangelist is? I thought, oh, you are. You are. You're going to witness to it. And then he starts to witness to it. And I'm wanting to slide under the table. And it was all I could do to stop myself shouting at him. Shut up. Let her go to hell. I want my lunch. And that is why J. John is an anointed evangelist and I'm not. Because he tells... Because he tells people about Jesus before lunch, on his day off. I, I, that's why I've noticed the people that are most anointed in an area, coincidentally, are the most obedient in that area. The anointing rides on obedience. It rides on obedience. And I want to finish. Oh, my Lord, I'm going to finish. I just realized the time. Um, I, I want to finish. Uh, and we're going to just see what God wants to do. By just telling a couple of stories of how it works out in my life. A few years ago, you know, every time you settle, God wants to say, come on, trust me again. Come on, go a little bit beyond what you can cope with. And it's because he loves, have you noticed in the Gospels how much Jesus loves faith? He loves faith. He loves it. And so a, a little while ago, a few years ago, he said, Mike, I want you to, I want you to honor my spirit. And my question is, well, what do you mean? 
And he said, I want you to be obedient to exactly what I tell you. And I made a vow. I said, okay, Lord, because I got desperate. I got desperate to see people saved. So I promised him that whatever I thought he said, I would not censor it. I would say it exactly as it was, whatever the cost. And you know, for years, if I, if, I, if I heard God speak and I wasn't sure if it was him, I wouldn't say it because I wasn't sure if it was him or not. Do you know what I do now? If I'm not sure if it's God, I say it in case it is him. Because if I get it wrong, nobody dies. But if it's Jesus, someone's life can get changed. And if I, if I don't say it, I never know whether it was him or not. If I do, I find out. I find out. And it's got to the stage in my life where my longing to see God move is greater now than my fear of failure. My fear of looking stupid. And I've looked stupid all my life. This isn't the first time I've done something silly. You know, I, I know, I know. I, I, I'm not exactly, you know, I'm not exactly a puzzler, you know. And, and when someone looking like me stands up in front of thousands of young people, before I do anything, I'm looking silly. You know, and so I decided I'm just going to go for it because I long to see people set free. I have been on the adventure of my life. I'm just going to tell you a couple of quick stories and we're going to land and we're going to go. And th there was one of the first times I was speaking in a meeting, there were about 400 people there. And um, uh, in the middle of the ministry, uh, we sp God spoke to me. And when I say God spoke to me, you know, I used to think it was like this. Hear ye, hear ye, God calling Mike, are you receiving me? Tablet of stone on its way down, duck. And, uh, you know, and I thought it was like that, but it's not. The way it works with me is, oh, I just had a thought. That's a funny thought. Why would I keep that thought? Could that be you, Lord? Or could it be indigestion? And in my case, sometimes it's indigestion. But there's only one way that I can find out if it's the Lord or not. And, um, and so, are we still on? Okay. And, and so, I decided, and then this thought came into my mind, and the thought was, the thought was, there's someone here um, who gets a fuzzy head on the left-hand side of their face, and, um, and it then through comes and goes, they've had it for years, and they've got it now. And I thought, oh, that must be a migraine. You get out of the way. It must be a migraine. And then I thought, 400 people here, odds of someone having a migraine, having it on the left-hand side, and it comes and goes, and they've got it now, 50-50. I like the odds, 50% chance. I'll go for it. Well, the Lord knows me. So he's glorious, and he's wonderful, and he's full of love and kindness. He's also sneaky when he wants to be. So do you know what he did? He waited until I said all that, and then at the last possible moment, he slipped the last thought into my head. And before I could stop myself, I said it. And the last bit was, and it's got something to do with your sister. And as soon as I said it, I was furious with myself. I thought, you idiot. You had a 50% chance of getting it right. I mean, how can someone get migraines on the left-hand side of their face? And they haven't for years, and it's got something to do with their sister, you moron. I mean, does their sister hit them over the head with a frying pan every day? Oh, you idiot. And as I was crossing myself, I turned around, and I saw this young lady standing at the front, weeping. And I looked at her, and I said, what are you doing there? 
And she said, it's me. And I was like, what do you mean it's you? And she said, I'm the one. And she said, it's not, it's not. And I said, has it got something to do with your sister? And she said, yeah. She said, it's not a migraine. She said, I was in emergency birth. I nearly died in the womb. And when they got me out, I wasn't breathing. And in the few minutes it took them to get me breathing, I got a bit of brain damage. And the main way it shows is I get this fuzzy head and this numbness on the left-hand side of my head. I've had it all, all my life. And, uh, and I've got it now. And it comes and goes. And then she said, and the thing is, the thing is, my twin sister didn't make it. She died in the womb. And she said, they got me to live, but my twin sister died. And then she started sobbing. And she said, for the 27 years of my life, I have felt guilty that the wrong twin survived. That I should have died so that my twin could have lived. And I felt guilty that I robbed my sister of her life. And we could pray for her. And that evening, God set her free from 27 years of guilt. And I was like, wow. You mean that was me? I had no idea. And that has happened again and again and again. And I love it. Let me tell you one more story. One, just one. And then we're stopping. This is it. We're coming in to land. We're almost on the runway. And we're not going to take off again. All right? So, and this, this just happened a little while ago. I love it. At one of our festivals, it was in the middle of the, the, the Midrashi camp. And suddenly, I just felt the Lord say to me, there's someone here who's been mocking me, who's been mocking everything that's been happening. They don't know me. They're an atheist. Their friend brought them. And they've been teasing their friends and saying, this is a load of nonsense. How can you believe this? But the Lord said to me, the person has just prayed for me just now for the first time ever. And the person has just said, if this is real, if you really do exist, and what they say is true, would you speak to me tonight? And then the Lord said to me, and his name is Brian. And before I could stop to think it through, and then think myself out of saying it, I said, um, there's someone here, you're an atheist, your friends brought you, you haven't believed in any of this, you've been mocking and you've been teasing your friends, but just now, you prayed for the first time ever, no one knows you prayed except God, and you said, if this is true, if you're really there, could you speak to me tonight? And your name is Brian. Where are you, Brian? Come forward now, immediately. Immediately, this 15-year-old lad came forward sobbing, and his friends were all crying, and they gathered around him, and they prayed with him. He gave his life to Jesus that night, and this is the bit I love. I never got to meet him, but everyone was telling me the next day he was walking around the campsite, and he was going up to everyone. He was going up to strangers, and he was saying to them, he knows my name. He knows my name. How about that as a way to come to Jesus? How about that as a way to come to Jesus? And that's why, that's why we want to do this stuff. Because people like Brian need to know that he knows their name. That he knows and he can set them free. And he can deliver them. And he can meet them. And he can change their lives. That's why we want to train in this. That's why we want to do it together. That's why we want to... We want to take hold, and it's not, just, it's not about power. 
It's about his love. Every time God does this, every single time, I am left amazed. How did you do that? You're so kind. You're so kind. You're, you're, just, you're just, every time it's astonishing. I could tell you so many stories, but I'm not, because it's going to shut up now, and we're going we're gonna to see what the Lord wants to do. Now, can I just ask you just to relax? Uh, no one needs to, we're not going to, you know, when, 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 often when, when I say we're going to have a prayer ministry time, we're going to pray and invite the Holy Spirit to come. There's two religious responses. The first one is the evangelical religious response. And I'm not having a go at evangelicals. I'm an evangelical. And it's like, oh, we're going to pray. Okay, let's assume the shampoo position. And then there's the charismatic religious response. And I'm not having a go at charismatics. I am a charismatic Pentecostal Anglican. But here's the charismatic religious response. Oh, he's going to invite the Holy Spirit to come. Get ready, everyone. We don't need to do either of that. Relax in the paddock. Take a chill pill. I'm going to pray. And if he does, if he does left, we go home early and I have my Kit Kat early. If he does more, we stay here a bit longer. The pay's the same. The pay's the same. So, uh, you know, I, ca- I'm not, I can't make anything happen. And all I want to do is get out of his way. Because it's him. This is him. And we all serve him. And so, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask now that you send your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? Holy Spirit, do you, you're in charge. We follow you. We serve you. Would you lead your church? We welcome you now. Breathe on us. Breathe on us, dear God. Breathe on us. We wait for you now. I just wait now. No one has to sing or prophesy or lie or anything like that. Just, just wait. Just wait. Don't be afraid of the silence. The more we wait, the more we wait.